My guest today is one of the most well-known guitar icons of all time. He has a new album that just came out called Shockwave Supernova. I'd like to welcome the incredible, legendary Joe Satriani. Oh, thank you. I hope you're having a good morning. I am. I have to say, listen, I'll get it all right off the bat. I'm a huge fan, and, and just to have you calling me and saying this is Joe Satriani, it's a real treat. So oh, cool. I appreciate that, man. It's it's really cool. Um, I'll jump right in because I've been listening to the new record and it's fantastic. Again, just stellar from beginning to end. But I, I want to start off with uh, just because it just happened was the G4 experience, right? Yeah. Um, boy, it seems like a distant memory already, but um, that, that's only because so much has been happening in the last few weeks. But yeah. Um, uh, I guess um, coming on about a, a month ago, we did the second annual G4 experience. We definitely bumped it up quite a bit. Um, it was, I think, uh, incredibly exciting for all the campers that came, uh, and I got a special thrill out of it because once again, there were, uh, you know, the teachers invited that uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I got to sort of be a fan stand on the side of the stage, even jump on stage and, uh, you know, play with Guthrie and Tosin and, and Mike Neely again. And um, they're just incredible. And uh, they're so different, you know. I'm, I'm yeah. never going to play an eight-string guitar like Tosin. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I don't possess the the control um, uh, of Guthrie either. And I've been a big fan of Guthrie's for many years since the Erotic Cakes record. So it's just really great to, to be able to... Uh, to hang out with them, to watch them play, to teach, to jam with them. And uh, once again, Cambria proved to be a beautiful host to 200 guitar players, you know. Wow. I mean, do you find that most of the campers that come are already more advanced, or are they just kind of fans that are starting out and, and maybe not at that level? Or what kind of uh, guitars come to that thing? You know, it was um, pretty mixed this time. Uh I was thinking about the last time we did it, and it seemed pretty much the same. Uh, but um, I seem to think that uh, because of the diversity of the, the teachers that we had, um, it attracted an even more eclectic um, mixed group of musicians, young kids, uh, older adults, professionals, um, uh, as well as uh, people who were coming simply, you know, like with their families to enjoy the whole week in Cambria, and it was centered around, you know, let's say that father and daughter with their guitars taking lessons every day and visiting the clinics and jamming. So, um, yeah, I, I saw, uh, once again, uh, uh, young to old and people from around the world that had come. There were a few people who were repeats as well, you know, that came back again because uh, they knew it was going to be so different because of... Uh, you know, Mike Keneally and myself mixing up with we had a bunch of new guys. Not only uh, Tosin and Guthrie, and the two bands, Animals as Leaders, um, uh, as well as the Aristocrats. Uh, but um, I think this time mm -hmm. around, uh, I think uh, Mike's being at Mike Keneally being able to put on the Beer for Dolphin show uh, was a really cool thing. Uh, to you know, rather rather than. Uh, putting a sort of piecing a band together Joe Travers actually came up and uh, of course Brian Bella long time Beer for Dolphins uh, band member uh, putting on a show like that was great and then of course we had you know Andy Allador was with us 
Doug Doppler and Bruce Belay were back. Um, Steve Matheson to round out the whole teaching staff. It was pretty amazing. So um, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I keep thinking in in uh, in bigger terms because uh, when you um, when you hang out with that many guitar players. And not not all, I should say not only that, but you know, like uh, 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 Marco was giving clinics and Stu Ham was giving clinics. I mean, it was it was a lot. That's going amazing. On. <laughs> yeah, that, is, that the names are unbelievable. I mean, it's the top of the top. It's very cool. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. The stuff that Marco and Matt Garcik did were I mean, that's pretty out there. I don't think you could find that anywhere else. And. Um, yeah, so it was broader than like just a bunch of guitar players, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a full-on heavy musical thing. Plus, there were you know beginner lessons being given during the day. There were lots of jams with all the students getting together in, in big and small groups. Um, and uh, our uh, promoter, uh, Danny Heaps, you know, makes sure at the Cambria Lodge that there are lots of places for people to break off and do their own little jams. Um, as well as playing with the the, the pro teachers that uh, that had the event, so um, it was a, it was a big success, and we're we're already uh, booking the next one, so we're, we're very happy. Let me ask you this: There's all these newer bands that are doing a lot of instrumental stuff, like Animals as Leaders and Scale the Summit and Aristocrats are, are hitting it big now. Is that cool for you to see again? Because sort of the instrumental. Thing, you were almost carrying that torch by yourself for a while there and now a lot of these bands are really they're selling a lot of records and, and selling out venues Is that really need for you to see that come back oh I love it yeah I absolutely love it I, I've always found instrumental music to have a special uh, power to it you know it's very cathartic um, the, the 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 absence of the lyrics really gives a listener an extra freedom to assign to that piece of music any story that is relevant to their life, you know. So, um, I mean, if you, you know, you can imagine if, uh, um, you know, Moonlight Sonata had lyrics, right. <laughs> you know, who knows what uh, what the Beethoven would have been thinking about. But it's kind of cool that he didn't give us any lyrics, you know, and, and people could use it any way they want. And uh, I think back to the, the uh, a, a song... Uh, that was released just a few years after I was born. A song called "Sleepwalk" by Santo and Johnny, sure. and you know that played like on on the radio as I was a little kid, just sort of becoming aware of the world. I always heard it as an instrumental, um, and when I covered it uh, f um, a few records back, uh, it was the first time I was aware that lyrics had actually been written, uh, and they tried to you know to re-release it as a vocal tune. But of course, people had already taken the instrumental to heart so I am so excited that there are more instrumentalists out there that are doing different things I think that in the past you know anytime you get a little success everybody comes out with their version of what you're doing and that's no fun right <laughs> so um, yeah when we did uh, when Animals as Leaders joined us for the Cliff Culturary Benefit uh, about a month ago in L.A. It was so cool to to watch them from the side of the stage, and and uh, uh, you know Matt Javier and and Tosin just really getting into a a, a groove and a vibe uh, playing that instrumental stuff on stage. It just it really touched me, and and I was 
I was totally sold because I had never seen them live before, only seen clips. Yeah. And listened to the records, and I always thought, well, what's it going to be like when I'm standing close to them, you know? Am, am I going to feel something? And I definitely did. It was definitely a cathartic experience listening to the instrumentals and feeling their their uh, their intensity, you know, as a unit. So I'm very happy to be joined by lots of new artists and new bands. Yeah, I'm, it's they're great, and uh, I was able to catch them live opening for Between the Barrier and Me a few weeks back here too, and they're, they're just amazing, and, and so, is, so is the other band. Um, well, let's talk about the new album, Shockwave Supernova, which came out last week on the 24th. Uh, featuring your your recent touring band or pro- your current touring band, uh, Brian Beller, Marco, and and Mike. Um, you, I saw you guys on tour with the Unstoppable Momentum, same same band, I guess about a year or so ago, and and it was just an amazing show, super tight band. Did you guys sort of feel that the the unit really working well and decided, okay, let's try and make a record? Is that how it came about? Absolutely. Uh, we had so many great shows. And uh, it's very, you know, busy schedule because I was still um, doing outside projects and the Aristocrats uh, and Mike Keneally were all touring and making records in between all of our, you know, eight-week, nine-week runs uh, is typically how long we go out. So we were all incredibly busy. Everyone was working on one or two or three other projects. And that... um, amount of energy really just showed up uh, in a very fun way every night on stage. Um, you know, I'd always told them, look, you know, we have we have fans and we have this rather large catalog now, at the time 14 albums of music um, but uh, since I, I tour a lot let's just, you know, let's be a new band for this material and uh, as you know, all the guys in the band are incredibly creative. They can, you know, think on their feet uh, like crazy, and they they play in a very, I don't know, maybe I use the word playful way. You know, mm-hmm. they they're they're so confident in their abilities, and they love music so much that it comes out. Everything comes out fun. So we just had fun every night, and I thought I got to make sure that I get this on record, and. Uh, you know, towards uh, the the last uh, couple of weeks of the tour, I started to really think I wanted to make a, a larger record rather than just ten songs and a bonus track. I was thinking I wanted to do something uh, pretty big in, in terms of scale, and I thought, you know, I, I'd love to be able to get these guys to come to play and maybe work in some material that I still was working on from the last record, and that's what really um, uh, determined how um, I was going to pull the whole thing together um, because this I've, I had at the time I think five songs that had Vinnie Kaliuta on drums and Chris Cheney on bass and Mike Keneally on keys and then I had written you know maybe 20 more songs specifically for Mark O'Brien and Mike and so I I had to sort of, I started thinking, like, how am I going to blend these guys together? I thought that would be so exciting to hear different rhythm sections uh, on, on the record. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, it wasn't until the last show and just a, you know, a funny little moment playing with my teeth that this sort of popped into my head that the album could be pulled together with a concept about an alter ego that's, you know, in, inside of me fighting for dominance and... and <laughs> 
that you know this purpose, this sort of funny concept album, would really uh, be serviced well by having a host of characters play rather than just one band, you know, sort of recreating the live thing. Because I thought, you know, we'd we you know you get filmed every night on stage and it gets posted everywhere, and uh, and we'd also done we'd, the first show of the tour we were filmed in I think it was Bulgaria or something like that, and then. Um, at the beginning of the last run, uh, we we did a show uh, front and center for PBS, and um, that was a funny story on its own. But I thought, <laughs> you know, we're, the, the the live thing has already been done uh, with uh, with all this material, so I don't want to repeat it. I don't want to just say, finally, you know, here's the band in the studio. I thought it's got to be something bigger than that, and uh, so I, I decided to, uh, you know, leap of faith to try to come up with a. Uh, concept album and uh, it it turned out great because those guys like I said before I use the word playful um, you know you can show up at 11 in the morning and say hey I've got a song and uh, you know it's about uh, a guy who's not real and he he thinks he's remembering that he's had you know metaphysical uh, breakdowns in the past when he was doing uh, a lot of drugs and alcohol and partying and and so we have to play a song that represents his struggle about whether or not there is life after death. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they don't just like laugh and oh that's funny, yeah, let's do it, you know, let's just try it eight different ways, you know. And so that's what it you know, that's really what um I think the super strength, the unknown strength of that unit is, is because everybody knows they can play like crazy. I mean, they're just technical wizards. But um uh, what I what I know is that Brian Marco and Mike are some of the funniest, uh, most creative people to hang out with, and that's what I wanted to tap into. You hear the fun and joy on the album, I think, and a lot of the songs. It's 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 a lot of it's really upbeat, um, and the production is amazing. Was there anything different that you guys did this time around, recording wise? Absolutely. Um, I went into this uh, and and invited John Cunaberti in uh, specifically because I wanted the audience to experience the recordings the way we did in the studio and uh, it's no secret you know that the the steps of bringing music to people um, often requires a kind of uh, you know uh, degradation with good intentions you know it, it music uh, sounds have to be somewhat fixed and contained in order to fit certain contexts uh, radio is one context television is another uh, your laptop or your earbuds, uh, the elevator, the car, you know, yeah. uh, mono, stereo, you know, four to one, seven to one, whatever else is happening. Um, and it, it drives musicians crazy and it drives the budget crazy. And very often uh, when, I, when I look back on the career that I've had and having to master records, uh, I've seen that we have had to react to whatever was happening whatever society thought was cool in order to uh, get your music introduced to the biggest audience possible so that might mean that you take a beautiful sounding recording and when you go to mastering you say well make this thing really loud make it as loud as that person's record that is number one or that just sold 40 million copies you know hmm. like the way things used to sell in the old days um, and then of course uh, you you get swept up I think in the moment and you know this became apparent to me when we were doing 
the Chrome Dome, which was the you know my entire catalog remastered by John Cunaberti, and the, and the two of us took the idea that you know what we should remove the veil of mastering anxiety from the catalog and get the audience to hear the way it sounded to us the day we looked at each other in the studio and said this is the mix we're done you know which means a full super dynamic sounding recording that you can turn up really loud and it never hurts and uh, that always has depth to it because it is in fact dynamic it's not like music coming out of a video game console where there's maybe zero um, you know dynamic range uh, and most pop records have maybe three two decibel dynamic range surfing with the alien had like 15 I think or 20 dBs of dynamic range that's insane mm. you know um, and but that's actually the way music should be enjoyed you know so uh, we wanted that to happen again, and uh, we took uh, we went to special lengths to make sure that we could create a very uh, open, dynamic-sounding record. And and this really helped us in terms of the fact that the record was long. You know, it's 15 songs, and I was nervous. You know, that that the record would overstay its welcome, and that was another reason to make it very dynamic and. Uh, you know, somewhat salubrious to listen to. You know what I mean? It's like it's, music shouldn't kill you. It shouldn't bother you. <laughs> right. Uh, there's no reason why they recorded, uh, you know, distorted screaming guitar can't sound really great. You know, so um, that's what we really focused on. And and, and it's it's uh, it's a difficult thing to do. And uh, it, the, I think the record shines because of John Cunabrady's talent uh, as an engineer. Uh, as a mix engineer as well as a mastering engineer because he did the whole thing at my insistence. <laughs> and and by the way, I have the, the Chrome Dome as well and it's one of the coolest packaging of things ever created if anybody doesn't have it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just so, so brilliant. Um, you know, I was wondering, when you're writing, uh, you're so prolific and you write so many songs, does, does how often does it occur where you do write during the process of, of, of writing for a record where there's a handful of songs or so that do have a lyric or that you did write lyrics for or, or you put aside for maybe one day you might work with a singer. Does that happen to you when you write? Uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, I've been uh, part of Chicken and Foot since 2008, and right. so um, I do a lot of uh, what I call free association writing where I'll sit down and I'll maybe start within an hour, you know, four or five songs, and I see where they're going. I imagine Sam, you know, saying, I'm not singing that, you know, <laughs> or I want to sing something on that, you know, that reminds me of some story, and I want to tell it. And so um, I just kind of uh, write it all down, record it, uh, make notes, make demos. Um, I, I don't kind of like put my foot down right at the beginning, you know, and say, this is a chicken foot song, or this is a song I'm going to write for somebody else. Um, I, I kind of wait and see where it goes. And uh, sometimes those uh, experiments, I guess, uh, change course in their own natural way. You know, a good example would be uh, there's a song on the new record called Crazy Joey. And I remember uh, one afternoon when I was writing that, my idea was to write a song for Chad and in... 
um, in, a, in an idea for a different kind of a chicken foot record. And so I was sitting down with a bass, and I thought, okay, I'm going to write a song that's purely about showcasing how crazy Chad Smith is as a person and as an amazing drummer. And so I was thinking about the slow tempo and just these three simple chords, and and I realized, you know, after about a, a half hour of mapping this thing out, I, I started to think, I bet Sam will never sing over this. For one reason or another, I had the feeling like he'd listen to it and go, eh, I don't hear anything, you know, <laughs> for me to do, you know. And then I thought, well, maybe I, I've written this with the wrong thing in mind. Maybe... It's the, and the the title I think was Crazy Drummer. I think that's what I wrote down first. And I thought maybe it's not about Chad at all. Maybe I'm writing a song about a version of me, you know. And I think that popped into my head because, uh, you know, Sam's always leaning on me for uh, you know coming up with the songs and being the organized one. And and they're allowed to kind of just fly in and be crazy, record a couple of takes and split, you know, and then I'm left at the studio right. to pull things together, right? And so I think I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm crazy too, you know, and you never know what you're going to get when I'm, you know, walking down the street to Sam's studio. It was just one of those funny reactionary daydreams while I'm working on this song called Crazy Drummer. So then I just flipped it. I said, no, this is going to be called Crazy Joey. And the drums are not going to be crazy. In fact, they're going to hold down the fort while the guitar plays in three different ways. First in a, in a major scale, very simple, childlike, and then it's going to do these these uh, incredibly precise uh, uh, ensemble uh, sort of arpeggios along the keyboard, and then it's going to sort of descend into a blues line, and you know, and so on and so forth. But then I, I wound up combining the two, and, and when I showed the song to Vinnie Kaliuta, I told him the story that it was originally called um, uh, Crazy Drummer. And of course, then that's why he started the song the way he did, but that just <laughs> making intro drum fill. Right. You know, uh, great just moment of Vinnie Kaliuta laying down a Vinnie groove. You know, it's just insane the way he plays. So. Uh, but th there's a good example of where you know I start writing for one band and the song takes a turn and winds up in the other band's hand. You know, have you uh, have you ever had the idea to take some of those songs with you know with the lyrics and do one of those albums that uh, that some guitars have done before where they get like ten different singers and do that kind of thing? You know, um, I have a big aversion to that for for two reasons. Number one. Everyone's done it already, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, I think Color Santana really did it. I mean, that first record, Supernatural, right? That was the thing, you know. He just had the right singers, the right songs, and uh, it sold a kajillion mm -hmm. copies. And so I, it was just like, okay, that's been done, you know. And then um, uh, Slash's record, uh, I forget which one that was called, um, the title of it, but he had also the same kind of thing. And I was just like, you know, these guys are great. I'm not going to step on their, you know, home plate, you know, um, try to cover what they've done before. But the other thing that really bothered me about that whole approach was that when you go to bring the record out to the fans, you can't possibly bring out ten vocalists. Right. Uh, and if you're even lucky to get, like, a famous, you know, vocalist, uh, that person's not going to come out with you. So um, then what's the whole point? You know, it's just the whole thing started to seem like you were doing it only 
to sell records, like only to appease to the fame machine. And I learned very early on in my career that that is a really unfulfilling road to go down. I, I do believe you have to truly love what you're doing uh, to withstand the insanity that is the entertainment industry. <laughs> and so I, I just thought, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm just not. It's like I want to play the music that I love, and as people love it, when I go out on tour, I can I can stand there as me and 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 connect with the audience. I don't have to say, hey, look, it's Taylor Swift, and she's playing the rhythm part, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it uh, it's just about the music and how it uh, inspires the fans and how they use the music in their life. And I thought this is big, you know. I never thought it was less than having a vocalist. And I guess maybe that's that thematically that's where myself and my team differ, perhaps, from conventional thought. Yeah. Well, you know, I, look, no one writes the kind of music you do and presents it in this way. So I, 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 I'm sure no one would want you to change a thing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is album number 15. And it, I was looking back and you've really not taken more than maybe three years between records. It, almost every two years you, you put out a new album and then tour it. How do you still stay so active and so on top of your game and always writing I mean, you never took like wanted to take like a few year break and just chill for a little bit oh that would drive me insane <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i love playing music i'm i'm driven to write music um and it's so i and i love playing on stage so um uh, it's uh, it's not something I want to get away from ever, you know. Well, I mean, my fingers get tired now and then, and I get <laughs> tired of hotel rooms and stuff like that. But you know, it's sort of like a uh, a triumvirate kind of a thing, you know. I mean, I'm, there's a period where I'm at home, people leave me alone, I get to experience creating music uh, without any outside interference, and I love that. And then stage two is bringing musicians in and and making the thing palpable for the rest of the world, making the recordings, you know. And then stage three is hitting the stage, you know, and I love all three moments. I don't want them to, I don't want to give up one of them, not quite yet, you know. Uh, I, I kind of thrive on that cycle, um, and, and I love it, you know. And it's really, you know, when you think about it, it's not a whole lot of albums. I think I'm only one more than Marco Miniman. I think he's got 14 <laughs> solo records. Uh, so it's, you know, uh, I, I feel like I'm in good company. Uh, people who like to, to be uh, prolific, you know. It's, it's good to be prolific, I think. Yeah. Um, I just go one more question. We've been doing something fun with people that we interview and sort of catching them on the spot where uh, I try to ask, what's the song uh, that changed your life? And, and if I can throw that on you and see if you can come up with something. I think um, uh, there were two um, that were very important. The first would be when I was a very little kid, I'm guessing five years old or something like that, uh, six, I don't know. I was with my family vacationing uh, up in Vermont, small little town, and my older sisters were going to like a local dance, you know, for the teenagers or something. And we were dropping them off and my parents uh, let me walk in the door of this hall where they were having the dance and I remember I heard what 
turned out to be this band doing Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. And it literally changed my life. I swear the DNA in my body suddenly, you know, turned around and upside down and rearranged itself in that one moment. I just never forgot about that. And wow. that that turned me into a drummer eventually. So at, at age uh, nine, uh, for a good three years there, I was a drummer and taking lessons and really wanted to, to be a drummer. Um, but right around the time I was sort of easing up on that, uh, I heard a Hendrix song coming through the radio one day, and it was uh, The Wind Cries Mary, and I, that was another moment where I really felt my brain and my body somehow change. It was a total, you know, uh, unexplainable cathartic moment uh, for a little kid to go through. I was a little bit older, you know, I must have been, I don't know, 11 or something like that, but I just I just remember thinking, oh, this is something that I've been waiting for my whole life. So those those two uh, artist bands uh, and hearing you know Satisfaction and Wind Cries Mary really were were uh, game changers for me. That's very cool. Listen uh, again, it's a pleasure. Uh, new album is out. Shockwave Supernova out now. iTunes, Amazon, everywhere. And uh, Joe, I can't believe I'm speaking with you. Really, it's an honor, and, and thank you so much. Thank you. It was, uh, it was lots of fun to talk to you. Thanks. All right, buddy. Thank you. Bye. 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 I'd like to thank Joe for the interview. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theprogreport.com, follow us on Facebook, at The Prog Report on Twitter, and download the podcast on iTunes. Thanks. <laughs>